but in allowing these competitive drives to be played out year after year in increasingly distant theaters of war, the aristocracy gradually undermined first the social and economic, then the military, and finally the civic foundations of the republic, or so many historians aver. For nearly every scholar who has sought to explain the social and political turmoil of the Roman Republic's last hundred years has traced its origins to the impact of the city's second-century wars on Italy's small farmers, the men who manned the legions and furnished the army's allied contingents, when the city's demands for soldiers began to conflict fundamentally with the needs of husbandry. Prior to 200 B.C., or perhaps the Hannibalic War, opinions differ, Conventional wisdom holds that war and agriculture blended together seamlessly. Campaigns were short, conducted close to home, and fought mainly in the summers when the crop cycle left farmers with little to do in their fields. The arrival of autumn brought an end to the fighting. Soldiers were mustered out of their legions and returned home to plant and cultivate the next year's crops until the following spring, when military duty would again call them from their plows. All that changed with the wars of the late third and second centuries, however. Armies fighting abroad could not be discharged in the fall and then reconstituted at winter's end. Logistical and strategic imperatives dictated keeping them overseas year-round. Smallholders therefore lacked regular opportunities to return to their land before their terms of service expired or the war ended, and as a result, their farms lacked the labor necessary to work them. Starvation threatened the families left behind, debts accumulated, and when, or indeed if, the men returned, they often could not pay them off owing to the years of fallow and neglect that had rendered their fields incapable of being easily returned to productivity. Families therefore sold or abandoned their lands or had them foreclosed. P. A. Brunt, in his seminal article, The Army and the Land in the Roman Revolution, starkly illustrated their degradation. The pathetic story Valerius Maximus tells of the consul Regulus will be remembered. During his absence for a year in Africa, the steward of his farm of seven Eugera had died. His hired man had run away with the farm stock, and his wife and children were in danger of starvation. Such must have been the fate not of a consul and a noble in the third century, but of many a peasant in the second and first centuries. Thus, even when the legionary was a man of some property, army service would soon reduce him to the same economic level as his proletarian comrades. At the same time, dramatic changes elsewhere in the agricultural economy were completing the ruin of Italy's smallholders, developments that, ironically, the victories these same men were winning overseas had set in motion. Many members of Rome's and Italy's upper classes had grown rich from the spoils of war and the profits made in the course of the Republic's conquests during the first half of the second century, particularly in the Hellenistic East. Lacking other outlets for their newly acquired capital, they began to invest it in the land that military service was forcing small farmers to relinquish. But, instead of establishing these men as tenants on their estates, wealthy proprietors preferred to work them with servile labor, of which not coincidentally the captives that Rome's armies had taken were furnishing an abundant supply for Italy's slave markets and from the same conquests came the wealth that enabled potential investors to buy them. In addition, the kinds of estates being created in this way constituted a new and very different sort of agricultural enterprise in Italy. Termed plantation agriculture, 
or the slave mode of production, farms of this type were much larger, run almost entirely with slave labor, and geared primarily toward producing cash crops like wine, oil, grain, and livestock for Italy's burgeoning urban markets and the Republic's armies. Consequently, pressures built on small farms from two directions following the Hannibalic War. The burdens of conquering an empire began to cause many of them to become no longer economically viable, while those that held out faced increasing challenges in the form of competition from the new slave-staffed estates. In some cases, the availability of a purchaser induced smallholders in difficulties to sell out. Elsewhere, large landowners drove out their weaker neighbors and occupied their holdings, or else simply absorbed whatever land became vacant when smallholders departed or died. <laughs>